dictionary definition for freestyle, performing or competing in an improvised or unrestricted fashion. But how does that exactly work in sport and what makes it so attractive? This is Medals and More, the podcast getting behind the scenes of Olympic and Paralympic sport. I'm Catherine Granger. For many people, freestyle is possibly best known as the official name for front crawl in the swimming pool. But more and more young people are getting involved in so-called urban sports like freestyle BMX and freestyle skiing. Great Britain's Charlotte Worthington and James Woods are both world championship medalists in the events. In this episode of Medals and More, I'd like to find out what it takes to be a freestyle champion. Is the training and coaching the same as so-called traditional sports? And what exactly is the future of the sports here in the UK and all around the world? To help me, I'll be joined by Rich King, British Cycling's BMX Freestyle Park Lead, and Pat Sharples, Head of Coaching at GB Snowsport. Rich, I'm going to start with you because I very confidently said you were British Cycling's BMX Freestyle Park Lead, and even I don't know exactly what that means. It's an interesting one because I'm not full-time with British Cycling. I think the the program itself is in its infancy. Um, you know, I think two years ago it got announced as, as an Olympic sport, freestyle BMX, and and there was a, a group of us that sat around a table at British Cycling um, from the, the BMX industry in the UK, and they were looking at... There, there was a very open conversation as to, okay, what do we need to do? How do we do it, you know, to, to pertain to the culture of the sport, but also to fit in with British Cycling model of Olympic medals and... They brought me on board as, a, I guess, a consultant to coordinate the program itself. So we have five riders on the program now. We have uh, a support coach in Jamie Bestwick, who has more X Games medals than people in this room. Um, and I guess my role as the team lead, the coordinator, is to to bring the whole program to life, I guess. And how did it fit in? Because we're talking about freestyle being a very different style of sport. And and of all sports, British cycling is is you know so respected as a you know quite a regimented, quite controlled uh, you know atmosphere and environment. Does freestyle BMX naturally fit into that, or has it managed to adjust? I think the one thing that has come to light through this process with freestyle becoming an Olympic sport and fitting into the kind of Great Britain cycling team is they're very willing to understand what it takes for this specific sport to to get medals. So they know what they have done in previous disciplines at previous olympic cycles as you say there's a it's a very structured process there's a big team of people there's a big team of riders there's a huge office in manchester there's the velodrome there's the racing track um there's teams all over the country activating regional events and then yeah freestyle pops up in the radar and they're like okay what do we do here um and the one thing they have said is that we want to employ the right people that we trust and know the sport as long as you kind of tick certain boxes that fit in with UK sport and you align to the overall processes, we're willing to understand what it takes to win in that specific sport. And we'll come back to find out exactly what it will take to win, hopefully. Maybe we will. But Pat, for you, is that, were your experience in, in GB snow sport, would you say there's the same different disciplines within the same sort of overall brand that are really quite distinct? Absolutely. You know, um, I think we from... Uh, from GB Snowsport uh, are with our sports as in freestyle, from freestyle skiing where I come from, free skiing, slope style, half pipe, big air, as well as snowboarding. I think we were probably the first ever disciplines to be included onto the world-class program by UK Sport. So it was a huge learning curve for us. Um, and I feel from UK Sport and definitely the BOA, Team GB. 
Um, you know, our worlds, our cultures are very, very different than traditional sports. But I feel that everybody's been quite open-minded and, um, and definitely um, gone on the right steps to make sure that we've done this in the right way. Um, there's definitely been challenges, and I think more from our side, more than anything else, as in um, how can we change the way that our culture is to fit into the Olympic environment. And that's definitely been the most challenging sort of uh, things that we've had to face. But we first um, came into this now, that was over eight years ago. Um, so we've learned so much and now it's great again to speak to Rich and you know they're going through what we did all those years ago and there's so much we can learn from each other because of that. And you've both you've both commented on the culture of your respective sort of freestyle sports can you explain exactly what that culture is? That's a very good question I think <clears throat> to understand the culture of these sports is probably the most important thing to fit into an Olympic program um, you know these sports have existed for a number of years outside of the Olympic world. You know, the likes of X Games, Dutour, Nitro Circus, Nitro World Games. There's been global events for these athletes for years and becoming an Olympic sport seems to change everything, but actually it changes nothing because these riders, the guys and girls that we work with on a daily basis have been competing at a world-class level, just not in a world-class program. They've been doing it themselves. They've been getting their parents taken to a skate park, to a dry ski slope, to do what they want to do. And actually, I think what it's... The one thing it's done is provided a genuine career opportunity for these kids now. Um, and what I mean by that is they've seen it as a career to date with these events. They have all their own sponsors. They make a lot of money on their own. But as a... I don't want to call it a job, because it's not, but the best athletes in the world will understand that it is a job. And I think what these athletes are starting to understand now is that the culture of this sport for BMX and for skiing and snowboard and skateboarding and surfing is going to change if you want to become an Olympic medalist. It doesn't we, mean your life changes, yeah. but I think they just need to understand that the day-to-day -day culture of what they deem being a professional athlete has been is now going to be different. And would you see, especially things like the X Games and other the big competitions, big global competitions, have had such a longer history with some of these sports. For the athletes now, where is there a hierarchy of of events in a lot of the traditional Olympic, Paralympic sports? You would, the Olympics, Paralympics sits at the top and is is sort of king of I'd, everything. I'd say for the first two cycles of snowboarding and skiing, they would there was probably a split between what is more important between the X Games and the Olympics, right? Absolutely, yeah. I think even going back into snowboarding was the first sort of uh, free spot that was included into the uh, Olympic sort of program. And the number one snowboarder at the time who was guaranteed if he put a rundown was going to win an Olympic medal was a Norwegian, Terje Hackinson. And he refused to do the Olympics. He, he didn't want anything to do with it. If it was going to ruin the spot, he, he didn't want to be included in that at all but then the next cycle it was sean white and he 100 percent wanted to do that and that's been his absolute goal you know like obviously he's gone and dominated the x games and that's still been up there but the olympics has been the most important thing for him i think you know when skiing got included uh slope style and uh half pipe there was a little chat about it but not too much i'd say 99 percent of people were straight in favor of it being in the olympics um and 
because it's only four years, it's like, so it's only every four years that everybody was like, this is special. It's something to aim for. And it also gave people a career in the sport who wouldn't normally get a career in the sport. And I think probably the same where BMX is now and skate and surf, the new sports for Tokyo, same with skiing when it first got announced. They probably saw the first um, cycle of snowboarding and understood that actually the, the perceived barriers of the Olympics weren't there. And that's what I think we, when you talk about culture shifts, it's the acceptance of national governing bodies and the big organizations to accept the cultures of those sports for what they are. Yeah. And I think that's what the athletes almost take this intrinsic pride on that, you know, I'm a skateboarder, I ride street. I don't want to go and compete in front of you know millions of people and, you know, have to say yes to my boss. I want to do what I want to do. And I think with two cycles of snowboarding and skiing now, and now these new sports are coming in, they've seen that actually you can maintain the same culture of the sport that you love, but just compete at a different event. And so there's no risk to the, the you know, that, that freedom and that, the, the sort of celebration of individual style. And I think the creativity. simplicity of it is with these sports is that the riders themselves, the athletes will choose what they want to do. If they want to go and film content and ride backcountry and film on the streets and maintain their sponsors with the core brands, the bike brands, the ski brands, the snowboard brands, and not compete at the Olympics, then I don't think anyone would, would kick up a fuss and, and complain. Um, similarly, the core guys that want to do that have to accept that actually certain people will want to go to the Olympics and get a medal because that's their career, the, the career path that they're choosing. So I think you can have both worlds within these action sports. But we've got athletes as well, haven't we, that would choose to do both. They would still have a filming career. They'd still do their urban sort of, you know, stuff for, you know, the cameras as yeah. well as compete in the Olympics. And from what we do in GB Snowspot, we, we encourage that. You know, it helps with that creative, being creative, um, bringing something new to their riding and their style. And uh, so we, yeah, 100%. And like, I guess that's the nice thing of a four-year cycle because you can have blocks of time where you're focusing on maybe ticking some sponsor stuff and doing what you want to do in terms of filming and, and other bits away from competing. And then when the time's right, when it, when qualifying periods start and it becomes, you know, relevant to the Olympic cycle, you kick back into gear and get your competition hat on. And from your experience in, in the sports you're in or, or other sports you've seen, when we're talking about the athletes who are successful within your freestyle sports, are they different creatures to other sports, would you say? Or would there be a lot that connects them with the the traditional sports we're more used to we've we've spoken about this loads and i remember when we went to the uk sports summit there was a an action sports or a free sport summit that pat led and there's a slight misunderstanding of action sports in a way that the mainstream audience might look at it and think it's completely anti-authoritarian that they're just going completely rogue and doing these things without any process or understanding of what they're doing or what they're going through but these athletes are very they're very proud, they're very driven to be the best in the world. They're very obsessive about being the best they can be. So I think there's all the same traits as any team sport, any mainstream sport, any normal normal athlete that you would associate with in Olympic sphere. I guess the differences that I've sort of seen um, working within with free sport athletes to maybe normal traditional sports, and I might be a little bit wrong here, but this is how I've sort of seen it is, uh, or what we've certainly done and learned from is in a lot of traditional sports, it seems to be a, sometimes a lot more coach-led than athlete-led. And 
you know, the athlete then is only only going to be ever as good as the coach who's leading what they're wanting them to do. Um, from what I've always done with my athletes is um, listen to how they see it and what they visualize and how they want their skiing um, to sort of come out and look like um, and talk about their visions and then trying to make that a reality. So it's all, almost bringing a dream come true. So they talk about their dream, how they want this to happen. And then we look at that, try and understand it, talk about it and put those pieces of jigsaw together, if that makes sense. Um, so that's where it's more athlete led and all the other support staff, all the people around it, go around that, understand them and then try and make that a reality. This is Medals and More, getting you behind the scenes of Olympic and Paralympic sport. I'm Catherine Granger, and I'm talking to Rich King and Pat Sharples about freestyle BMX and freestyle skiing, what it takes to be a success, and what the future holds for these new sports in the Olympics. And you've had very recent success, Pat, with, with James Woods, who's now, well, has always been famous probably within the sport, but has it had more wider spread success in Izzy Atkin as well recently. Is there, can you see the sport within GB sort of changing, improving? Have we just got great athletes at the right time? Is it... You know what? What is the secret to that success at the moment? Oh, it's it's a tough one. I think we're very very lucky to have these amazing talented athletes. You know who have got these visions. Um, you know, I'm not saying every athlete that we get has has got this, and some people do definitely need more guidance um, and leadership in certain areas than others. But going on to James Woodsy Woods, for example. Um, He's somebody I've worked with since I was 13 years of age and hand on heart, the person I've learned more um, doing my, as to where I am now in my role, he's the person I've learned the most from, like absolutely. So I've learned more from the athlete I've worked with more than anybody who's helped develop me or any coach developers or any mentors or anything else because we've sort of been on that journey together and we've learned to as we've gone along on this journey from each other and from everything else that's gone around us. And can you explain what those learnings, what sort of things you're learning from him? The one bit that I definitely, that's always stuck to me is when I, I first met him, um, what really drew me to him where I thought it was something special was his personality. And you can almost see his personality coming out in his ski style and how creative he is about picking a different line and the way he wants his tricks to learn. So before that, um, I was actually, uh, I was working for a company called Solomon and they asked me to be the team manager for their team. And normally as a team manager, as that like you would do, Rich, you would go and find the best athletes, you know, around and you would put, you know, the branding on them, give them the equipment to use. And I wanted to do it a little bit differently. I wanted to create a team and uh, help mentor and develop some young riders and sort of profile or um show their journey along the way and he was the first athlete that i ever signed because his personality just sort of like was oozing with all this creativeness i just thought this is how we need to sort of move forward we need to be sort of looking at athletes who see stuff a bit different who can have their or add their own flavor into the way that they're doing their skiing and their snowboarding and that's the pretty much way we've sort of gone with everything we've done since and rich do you recognize that from athletes you've worked with yeah, so that's when me and Pat first started becoming friends. So Pat was the team manager at Salomon and I was the athlete manager at Red Bull. And yeah, I think the one thing that is so clear with these athletes is 
is how easily they can set their own goals. Um, and I'm, I, we've worked with a lot of athletes in other sports, and I know that athletes all have their own goals, but how quickly they've adapted to becoming, I guess, an Olympic-based athlete within BMX freestyle and the, the ease with which they've broken down some of the processes and understood where the end goal is and how to get there. And actually what we try and do is, is more of a facilitation process to put the right support plan around that to help them achieve their goals because they're so driven. They know what they want to do. And each rider, you know, take any ski, snowboard, BMX or skateboarder, they each have such unique strengths versus other riders in their sports. And the way we try and work is to allow them to maximize their strengths. So each of our sports is a judge-based sport, right? It's not first over the line. You've got five judges. Sometimes there's three judges at events if they don't have enough money. Um, <laughs> but five judges. And the criteria is quite complex when you try and break it down as to what, what is a gold medal run. And that's the one question that I often get asked from British cycling is, what does a gold medal run look like at Tokyo? And it's like, well, we, we think we know. Um, and we can put all the plans in place to get the riders doing the tricks that we want them to do figuring out the lines of the course and how they use the course, the variety of tricks, uh, the complexity and uh, amplitude of tricks. But you're at the helm of five judges at the end of the day that on any given day might judge that run versus someone else's run in a different way to what you think in your head. And is that an ongoing frustration for yourselves and the athletes or is that just you accept it's a judge sport that's going to come with the territory? I, I think before the processes that are here now, the targets and the subsequent funding for the athletes before that was all here they would do the run that they think is right it would get judged either very well very badly mediocre they would probably wake up the next day and think okay well i'll go to the next contest or i'll work on a few more tricks whereas now there's the the level of detail they have to go to and we have to go to to analyze judging patterns and what judges are looking for based on the type of course or the country you're in or the weather that's happening it's quite quite complex yeah and often before you realize the way the judging is going it's too late because the scores are up and the results are in you guys are sort of going through what we did you know over the last eight years and it, you know when we we only found out that our sport was going to be in the olympics two years before so and that was slipstyle on half pipe so we it was it all happened all of a sudden but we were we, you know, with our team, we were doing quite well, but we had no real structure or plans. We were just sort of living from event to event, like, this might be cool, let's try this trick and see what the judges think of it. But then when when we knew that we were going to be in Sochi, it was like, well, okay, we've got to be smarter about this. Like, what do we feel is going to be the winning run in Sochi? Like, what are the tricks going to be? So we were looking into the future. These tricks hadn't even been done then when we were sort of thinking in our heads, what will it be? You know, what will the judges be looking for? And what can we do that no one else has done before? And have we got the time from now until Sochi, which we had two years, to actually make that a reality? What was the story you told me the other week? Um, it was just before Pyeongchang, right, at X Games, where Izzy learned a brand new trick at that, the contest. Yeah, that was the, the right side, nine, uh, the Cork 900. Which got um, her a medal. Which got her a medal, yeah. We knew that she needed that trick to go into um, to PY if she was going to be a medal contender. And the X Games was the last event that we had. But it, it wasn't like, she hadn't quite like nailed it in training. But we knew where we're at the X Games, the biggest competition in the world, apart from the Olympics. 
um, with a world-class pack, with a world-class jumps, and with sled laps, fast laps, so you get lots of chances on it. And she learnt it there. So, like, thank goodness for the X Games because that prepped us and got her ready to take that into PY. And one thing, I was out in Pyeongchang and saw some of these events live, and one thing that was interesting, and I hadn't seen it sort of before in person at some of these, that level of sport, is some of the people coming down finishing their runs, yes, it was about results and it was about medals, but for a lot of them it seemed to be about they've, they've nailed a particular move. That's, that feels as important you know, than, than sometimes results. And that's quite, I knew, that's quite different for a bit of a sport. Absolutely. And I think, you know, with, with all our athletes, if they've gone and put down a run with the tricks that they've worked so hard to do and, they, and they've managed to do that and maybe they've got something slightly wrong, the grab wasn't as clean or the landing wasn't quite as crystal as it could be and the judges don't give them that mark, they can take that. You know, uh, Woodsy, he made one mistake on a rail, didn't finish the trick that he needed to and that cost him gold, maybe silver medal. Um, that was it that was it you know like to the general public eye they wouldn't have even noticed that but that cost him but he he can live with that he was fine because he was proud of himself he he had that run together he knew that that run could have given him that gold medal um but it, it's just it's just how it is but he he was all right he could handle it i think i handled it a lot worse to be honest <laughs> but that, like, that's the same with any mainstream athlete isn't it i think the best athletes in the world have the ability to recognize when they haven't done what they could have done on any given day and I think the best athletes will will look at that and learn and then become stronger for it I suppose it's it's unusual in that most mainstream sports the athletes performing it when it comes to the the major events the major finals will be doing something they they know they can do they know they can deliver and have delivered it before and it's and you know the part of the excitement of freestyle sports is often athletes doing you know sometimes for the first time or sometimes you're doing it at that level for the first time and and that there's a pride in that in itself mm. i think that it's the same process though you need to kind of figure out the training plans and the the processes to peak at the right time and that's both mentally and physically with the tricks and the getting their minds right to to perform at the stage because with freestyle bmx um, this is going to be the first time in tokyo so there's it's not just do they have the ability to do certain tricks it's do they have the confidence and the and the, the motivation in a way to actually believe in themselves to do that at that stage. And Tokyo for us, for freestyle BMX, will be interesting because a normal World Cup, you will look at uh, a, a three-round process of qualifying semifinals, finals. And at some events with the males particularly, you can have up to 130 males competing in qualifying to go to 24 in a semifinal and 12 in a final. All the hard work to get to the Olympics has already been done. When they're there there's nine males and nine females you know there's none of the extra competition processes of we need to get through this round we need to get through this round so there's almost three different strategies of competing at world cups to get through the different rounds um, with different lines and different tricks but yeah nine guys nine girls it's just going to be um organized carnage <laughs> in a fabulous way for spectators it will yeah i mean i guess that's one of the most interesting things with some of these new sports coming in um particularly with with climbing surfing skate and bmx is how the audiences will appreciate that and i think tv will have a tough job because they need to get the right people to communicate quite a complex sport to an audience that probably doesn't really want to understand that sport in as much detail but have an, enough understanding that they appreciate what's going on 
And Rich, you're marketing director in your spare time or whatever time you have mm. on the side. Do you see this move, and whether it's a, a very ongoing, conscious, long-term move from the IOC or, or for now, this move towards urban sports, they've called it, or more freestyle-type sports, have you seen that as a sort of change that is for the better, for the to attract a different population or to to just change the gear of the Olympics a little bit? I, th- I think trying to build a new younger audience of fans for the Olympics is a good thing. You know, I've, I've personally, I've watched summer and winter Olympics for years and I've worked with a lot of mainstream athletes as well, but I've, I've always loved everything to do with the Olympics. So I fully appreciate that freestyle sports coming into the Olympics is a huge opportunity for the riders to put themselves in front of a new, bigger audience. Um, it's an opportunity for them to, I guess, capitalize is the right word you know from a sponsorship perspective which is the same for any athlete competing at the olympics if you if you walk away with a medal then the chances are you're going to be making more money which is great for the athletes but yeah we 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 started doing a couple of other events with british cycling we've done a a first ever national championships and another olympic qualifier last year in august and yeah there's a trickle down of, of younger people younger girls and guys at skate parks wanting to get involved and understanding that like we said earlier on, there's there's a career path here. Letting them lead the program, like Pat said, it's it's a really good way to get them to buy into what they want to do. Yeah. And and talking of leading programs, um, Dan Hunt, who is performance director for GB Snowsport, said recently after the two medals won at Pyeongchang in the Olympics and seven won in the Paralympics, that the ambition would be for GB to become a top five snowsport by 2030. How realistic do we think that ambition is? Um, it, it's massively ambitious, but you know Dan is very ambitious. Absolutely. Um, you know, and um, like personally, hand on heart, I don't think about that too much. I think about the right here, right now, and about the athletes that we've got in our system, and about what we need to do and put around them to get them to the best they can be when we're moving into Beijing. The bit that excites me is the athletes that we have got within within our system in the UK. I think we've got some amazing talent. I think that the support that we're getting now um, from from UK Sport and from uh, everybody else uh, around us who wants to see us succeed is incredible. It's at an all-time high. I do honestly feel that at the moment. We've got some of the best coaches I could have ever asked for that I continue to learn from every day. Um, I feel that I'm incredibly lucky because I get to work with different disciplines um, in your traditional sports, as in as in winter sports, you know, from Alpine, just recently been away at a cross-country event, which I've got to say, hand on heart as well, I, you know, I, I never could get overexcited about before, and I am now because I'm learning from these guys, um, and the work and the effort and everything that they put in, we, we can all learn from each other. It's it's exciting times, definitely leading up to Beijing and then obviously now uh, for Italy Cortina in 2026. We've got so many great athletes and um, I'm excited to sort of do whatever we can with uh, the resources we've got. And the top five nation bit, like I said, very ambitious, but yeah, we'll keep moving forward in this way and uh, hopefully we can we can hit that target. That's hope so. And in brief, to finish, line from you both on what is the future of freestyle in this country? For me now, we were talking earlier about how we can keep continuing to learn from each other. Um, A lot of the sports that Rich has been involved in over the years when he worked for Red Bull, like um, I always linked into a lot of those for like skill acquisition, where parkour, for example, free running, 
um, one of the best free runners in the world who you were you know, sponsoring at the time, Ryan Doyle, we were like thinking, well, what he does, just running around the street and looking at like how he can make the street his playground and look at different ways of using different features, like that's slope style. Like we can learn from this guy. And, and we did, you know, we went and had sessions at his place, the Airborne Academy in, in Liverpool, and we set up different features and he'd run around and we'd sort of learn and pick up different ideas. And then we'd go and recreate these ideas on snow. And we'd even, I'd be ringing up like the snow centers and saying, can you build this jump? Can you put like a dustbin here with a jump leading up to it that we can flip over and everything else? And we'd go and do stuff like that. So that's just one example. You know, I think we can all learn a lot more from each other moving forward. And because we've got these close connections and the athletes are all, you know, in a similar sort of place, I feel that, you know, the future is looking really, really bright in free sports for the UK. These new sports, skates, surf, BMX freestyle are all so creative in the way that it's down to an individual's interpretation of what they want to do on a park you know freestyle bmx you have 60 seconds to basically do what you want to do and what we're trying to do behind the scenes is really analyze okay like what features are there what does the course look like what are the other competitors doing and how are they using the course and how can we be different and watching you know nine guys and nine girls in freestyle bmx do two 60 second runs it'll just be it's amazing to watch you know the tricks they do people won't even understand how you can physically do them literally and it's every time i go and watch the guys and we go to a contest and i see them do something i I just i'm in awe watching them it's incredible to see and the belief and the confidence that all these guys and girls have to do it is just incredible and the risk of injury every time for any rider, even if you're the best rider in the world, you're the number one ranked male rider in the world going to Tokyo, you could literally crash, slip a, a bar spin or a tail whip and injure yourself badly. And the dedication these guys have to perfect these really complex tricks and put them into a sequence of tricks in a 60 second run is amazing. It's Every time it's incredible to watch. So we've all got a lot to look forward to either watching, competing, supporting, being part of. Yeah. Thank you both for being part of today and thank you for being part of the system ongoing. We look forward to many more success from you both. That's Rich King from British Cycling and Pat Sharples from GB Snowsport. I'm Catherine Granger. This is Medals and More, the podcast getting you behind the scenes of Olympic and Paralympic sport. This episode was recorded in the heady days before lockdown and it brings season one of the podcast to a close. Thanks again to all my guests in what's been an unprecedented time in sporting history. We'll be back soon as we restart our build-up to Tokyo 2020 next summer. Listen and subscribe and you won't miss a moment.